Let's turn now to God's Word, and um, we're transitioning now to the book of Psalms for the season of Lent. Those of you who read your Friday email had an introduction to that and uh, a sense of the direction we're going with that. And the psalm that we're going to focus on today is Psalm 116. So let's read that. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, at various times and in many different ways, we have all suffered distress and anguish from which we have sought deliverance. May your Holy Spirit give Pastor Bryant your words today as he speaks to us of the salvation that comes from the Lord. And may we have ears to listen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, saints. I have been waiting for this day because I advanced my clock one hour last night before I went to bed because spring is here. And given that all of you have told me now I no longer need to worry about any more snow falling, that that's over, we're done with that and we're moving into a different season of the year. Yes, please or no, please? Uh, well, it is... Uh, Interesting, isn't it, the way uh, we live our life in these various cycles that repeat themselves. We have moved into spring, although we may not experience some warmer weather for uh, a few more <laughs> months. Oh. But we are into spring now. Summer is coming, and after summer, then fall, and after fall, then winter, and we'll repeat that cycle again and again and again. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're delighted that you are here. I am not Pastor Andrew. I have a lot more hair than he does. <clears throat> I, I, uh, uh, he is away from us. We'll be praying for him. He's away all week. His uh, daughter Zoe and he are at um, a basketball uh, 
championship playoff in Springfield, or Springfield, Missouri. So let's be praying for them in, in their absence. Last week, he ended our kingdom living parable study. And we ended with that parable where the women are, are uh, holding their lanterns and they're watching an expectation, waiting an expectation for the return of the Savior and how we are to do the same. We are to eagerly anticipate his coming and while we wait to be calling out to him, to be praying for him. We're beginning a new study today. Pastor Andrews, let me start that one today for our Lenten season. And it does kind of the same thing. This particular psalm, Psalm 116, uh, and if you are visiting with us, keep your bulletin there because I'm going to be referring to various passages as we move through this particular uh, psalm together today. Uh, this psalm repeats a pattern, and that pattern is that we move from this orientation into this disorientation, and then from this disorientation back into reorientation, and it just repeats itself. In, in the Psalms, the whole book of Psalms does this for us, with a, a picture of our own sinful lives uh, in the world in which we live. We're in favor with God, living in favor with God, and then we turn to the things of the world, turn to our own sinfulness and disorientation. He reminds us of who he is and the grace and the mercy that he extends to us in Christ and we're reoriented back into that life. If you're like me, this is a, a common pattern for you and that's what we're going to uh, we're going to camp out on this Lenten season. Next Sunday, Pastor Addison will be preaching from Psalm 32, uh, this need while we're in this disorientation phase to repent, to come out of that into our orientation phase. Jennifer and I purchased a house bought in, or bought, built in 1930 uh, over in Ottawa Hills. We had an old home in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're eagerly anticipating getting in this house. When we looked at it, we looked at it two, three, four times uh, when the realtor showed it to us, and they had it all nice and, nice and staged. The lady that sold it to us had moved back to Texas, back to God's country, and uh, she had it perfectly staged by her realtor with different pieces of, of furniture and so forth so that it would show nicely, and we walked into the house, and we knew what we were getting. We've done this before. This isn't our first rodeo. That's a Texas thing, but we, uh, we, we could see that there were things that needed to be improved, and so our desire was, our plan was, we were going to buy it in this stage here where it showed really nice, but then as soon as we bought it, it wasn't uh, just a few days that we began the demolition work. And if you went into my house today, we're not living there, thank you, Lord. But if you went into my house today, it looks like a bomb went off inside. We are down to the lath in the kitchen, literally the lath walls in the kitchen to cover up with drywall. We're ripping out hardwood floors in one place for tile. We're sanding them everywhere else. We're painting. We're knocking off that pretty pink tile in the bathroom, that pretty yellow tile in the bathroom that screams 1930. We're in the middle. We went from orientation to disorientation. But I know that having done this before, that there is going to come a day when my moving truck is going to pull up outside and I will have all the painting done and all of the floors done, all of the light fixtures changed, everything will be nice and pretty. We'll begin to have you over to celebrate with us that we have moved from this disorientation phase, phase back into this reorientation as we enjoy uh, this, this new house together. I know that because I've done this before. This is what we used to do down on the island. And I know that in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of all of this trash, that there is a saving grace and that this too shall pass. 
in a very real way. That's what the psalmist declares to us from Psalm 116. He is shouting out this relationship that he has with his Savior. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon summarized Psalm 116. He said, it is a personal love fostered by a personal experience of redemption. This individual understood that Christ would pour out, that his Savior would pour out deliverance, salvation, save him from the situation that he was in because he had done it in the past, he was doing it in the presence, and he promised that he would do it again in the future. So this psalmist of Psalm 116 could cry, cry out that way. He had been through difficult times in the past because this pattern in his life was repeated. And so when he went from this orientation phase, when he was right with God, and then he gave in to the temptations of the world, the lust of the flesh and so forth, and disorientation, he could call out to the Lord and know that Christ would bring him back, the Savior would bring him back again. His prayer is exactly like Jesus' prayer. I want to start with that. Christ-oriented with the Father, left the Father, came and took on flesh, took on our flesh in His body in this disorientation, only to be raised to new life, back to reorientation. You see how Christ is present in every page of the Bible, even in the pages of the Old Testament, in all of the Psalms. But I want you to look at something at the beginning of this particular Psalm, and as you move through it, look at the personal pronoun, pronouns that are repeated. The psalmist uses often the word I or me or my. All the way through the entire psalm, which is quite interesting because Psalm 116 is known as what's called the uh, Hallel Psalm. Psalm 113 to 118 were the Hallel Psalms from which we get our word hallelujah. They were psalms to be used by Israel to shout the hosannas, the hallelujahs of Yahweh, of God himself. But right here in the middle, so to speak, just a little past the middle, we find a psalm that's concentrated solely on I and my and me, surrounded by the other Hallel psalms where it's all about Israel, what God is doing for Israel, has done for Israel, promises to continue to do for Israel. Here is hope for people like you and me, friends. Even in the midst of when we move from this stage in life of being in orientation with God into this phase of disorientation, that we have the promise that we're never alone. Even when we feel like we're alone, the Savior has never left us nor forsaken us. And so the psalmist does what we need to be doing today, and that is calling out, crying out to the Lord himself, calling on the name of the Lord. He says that in verse 2. I will call on him as long as I live. He says it in verse 4, then I called on the name of the Lord. He says it in verse 13, I'll call on the name of the Lord. And he says it again in verse 17, and I called on the name of the Lord. Here's hope for us. In the midst of this time when we may experience this frustration and all that life gives that just absolutely stinks and we think that we can't go on anymore we have the hope that the one who delivered us in the past is delivering us in the present and will deliver us in the future. Why? Because of his covenant faithfulness. Because it's the work that he has done, is doing, and promises to do. We can cling to that today. 
So look at this orientation phase, the way he starts there. In verses 1 and 2, we find that, that the psalmist is focused on God's mercy and God's grace. We read mercy in verse 1, we read grace in verse 2, and then we read it again in verse 5. Gracious is the Lord, and our God is merciful. So when we're in covenant relationship with God, we, we begin with this understanding that we are there because of the mercy and the grace of our loving, covenant, faithful God. Now, many times Christians throw those two words around as if they're synonymous terms or sometimes even like we know what they really mean or we use them in the context of a community that people may not know the difference. But there is a huge difference between mercy and grace. Think of it like this. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, what we should get. Grace is getting what we shouldn't get. I, I remember it this way because this is the way my mind works. G for grace, G for get. So by grace, I get something that I shouldn't get. I am getting the loving, untiring, faithful merit of God himself. I am receiving that. And in mercy, now I'm not getting what I should get. What we just heard from uh, Ecclesiastes, who among us could say that we have not sinned? None of us. And what does sin deserve? Sin deserves death, punishment. And so mercy then is I am not getting what I deserve. I'm not having uh, a punishment poured out on me, judgment poured out on me, because Christ has taken it for me. He who knew no sin became sin, that I might be dead to that sin and alive to all that is good. That's the mercy of God. That's what the psalmist is crying out for. He's pleading for mercy. And he's pleading for that mercy because of God's grace, his unmerited favor, that he inclines, verse 2, inclines his ear. He turns his ear toward us. He turns his face towards us as his people because of his covenant faithfulness to be our God and declare that we are his children. So friends, all of this orientation stage is based on a relationship that we have because of the, of the love, the covenant love and faithfulness of our God. It's a relation, that's why he would say at the very beginning of the psalm, I love you, Lord, because he has experienced in the past his mercy and his grace. But then not long he moves into this disorientation phase, doesn't he? From verses 3 to verse 11, when he talks about being low, look at verse 6. Then I was brought low, literally translated, I was low, I was the bottom hanging fruit. I was as low as I could get, all the way down to the bottom. But he starts that picture in verse 3, the snares of death encompassed me, the pains of Sheol, it's the fancy word for meaning the grave, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me and I was in anguish and I suffered. Now we don't know what the anguish is, the suffering is of this particular psalmist, but it must have had something to do that he felt like it was bringing him to the very place of the grave, to the place of death. And isn't that a product of the fallen world in which we live? 
Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if they did, they would die. And our first parents did eat of that fruit, and death came, spiritual death and eventually physical death. So what the psalmist is talking about here is he is experiencing the suffering and the, and the pain of the pangs of the evil one, of the fallen world in which we live. He is at the place of death or surrounded by death. Doesn't that describe us many times? You have a diagnosis from a doctor that doesn't look so favorable. Or you're here today and you're still grieving the loss of a loved one that has died, a spouse, a child, a sibling. We live in the context of a fallen world, loved ones, and the evil one wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to keep us in this place of, uh, of disorientation by letting us focus then on the, on the angst, uh, the, the, the pain and the affliction, which are real. They're very real. I'm not saying that they're not real. They are real. But what I'm saying is this, what I want to point to you is this. Look where in such a time where, where the psalmist focuses. He focuses on the attributes and the characteristics of God. Look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord. He moves on then to righteous is our God. Merciful is the Lord our God. In times where he's uh, tempted by the pangs from the evil one, the psalmist is focusing on the character of God and his grace, his righteousness, and his mercy. He has been faithful in the past. He is present in the, in the present. He will be faithful in the future. There's where the psalmist is camping. And this guy must have probably had a lot of similarities with Job, the oldest book of the Bible. You remember that guy, don't you? Job, who was experiencing all kinds of physical problems and sores and the loss of his children and, and all of those things, he was, he was experiencing anguish and suffering far more than many of us will ever experience. And then those wonderful friends of his come alongside, all the Barnabai that are great encouragers, just cling to the covenant faithfulness, Job, your God knows. Oh, no, they started pointing fingers, didn't they? It's, it's you, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. It's, it's you, some sin in your life that you haven't been confronted with. And so from the pangs of the evil one come the affliction from evil ones. Maybe it's a situation, a circumstance that you're living in today, painful as it is. Maybe it's other individuals bringing pain to you. Look what the psalmist does, beloved. What we must do as well. He camps out on the character of God, the attributes of God. Verse 7, he has dealt with me bountifully. Verse 8, he has delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. The top, the bottom, and the middle. He's delivered me from everything. And then he has put me in the land. Verse 9, of the living. The psalmist focuses on the character of God, the characteristics of God. He can look at it past, present, and future because God has been faithful. Alexander McLaren said this about the past, present, and future. He said, we can, we can see that today as well only because of God's unchangeable character. 
God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, so our shorter catechism says. But listen to what Alexander McLaren said. His past is the guarantee and the revelation of his future that every person who grasps him in faith has the right to pray with full assurance. There's your hope in the midst of this disorientation where you are experiencing the pangs of the evil one and the pains of evil ones. Your God hears your cry. He hears you call out to him and he promises, he promises you today that he hears that. The psalmist knew that. We can know that. Look at how he ends then in verse 12. What shall I render the Lord for all of these benefits to me? Now he's seeing from this disillusionment, moving from this uh, orientation to this disorientation, now he's coming full circle all the way back around to reorientation. God is worthy, and he says... Uh, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? Now, friends, listen, make no mistake where the psalmist is going here. He is going first saying that he is a saint and then that he is a servant. He is not going to an immediate thing that he can do that will make God his debtor. You now have to get me out of this situation that I'm in because I did X, Y, and Z. Aren't we... Aren't we oftentimes tempted to live that way as if God is, our, is indebted to us? I did this wonderful thing, Lord, and now you should do a wonderful thing too and move me from here to there. It looks a lot like this. If you think about this book, the Bible here, all of the pages, all of these words are every sin that I ever committed in my entire life. And here's little old me, and here's what I have to offer up to a holy, loving righteous, merciful, covenant-filled God. What do we oftentimes do? I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And we still try to offer this same thing. We all like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah said. Each of us to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be dead to that sin and reoriented back into communion with our Heavenly Father. So I can't render anything to the Lord in my own doing, my own good works that will make Him love me any more than He already loves me. He loves me 100%. And so now as the psalmist, crying out to the one, then look, I am a saint Precious, verse 15, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Even if the evil one does drive me to death, even if the evil ones around me push me all the way to death, it will be precious in the sight of the Lord because I am his saint, a called out one, one who is made holy, one who is set free, a gift given to me, the work of grace in me, not something that I have accomplished on my own. And then from that, a saint, now I am a servant. Verse 16, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant, and you have loosed my bonds. You have unshackled my chains, unshackled my chains to the sin that I love so much. 
and you've now shackled me to yourself. I'm a servant to you, the one true and the living God. From there, now, where does he go in this reorientation phase? Now, it's worship and praise. Worship and praise. Isn't that what he says? I will lift the cup of salvation, verse 13. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Old Testament language there, friends, the context of where we are in Scripture. These were the things that were given by Yahweh to the Israelites to be used. Much what we're about to do right here at the Lord's table, a gift given to us that the Lord promises to use as part of that worship to grow us in grace upon grace. And so He is worthy of our praise. Spurgeon put it like, like this. He said, the psalmist receives mercy in private, but now he offers praise in public. And that's what we're called to do. There is no greater picture. Listen, friends. There is no greater picture of us being reoriented back to the Savior than the celebration of corporate worship every Lord's Day. When we come together with the promise that our covenant God will meet us here through the faithful teaching of His Word, through the sacrament it's word and sacrament together that the promise is that he promises to be faithful and to reorient us back into this relationship because he is filled with grace and mercy. Do you know that God? Do you know that God today? Do you know that gospel that points you to that God today? Then what are we called to do, friends? Call out. Call out on the name of the Lord. Cry out to him because the one who was faithful in the past to deliver you is currently delivering you and promises will deliver you in the future. He saved us in the past. He saves us in the present. He'll hold us all the way to the very end in the future. This is the God that we have gathered together today to worship and adore. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to hear the gospel yet again. We shall never tire of it. It is sweet ear, uh, music to our ears. It is a cold drink to our weary souls to know, Lord, that you have created us to live in fellowship with you, in love of you by your grace and mercy. And yet, even in times when we wander, we're drawn to the things of the world or drawn away by the pains of the things that we experience, that you bring us back, you draw us back and remind us that we are yours and that you are worthy of our praise. You've done it in the past, you promised to do it in the present, and you continue to do it all the way until you come again throughout eternity. So, Father, please seal that to our minds today, we pray. Seal that to our hearts and our minds that as we leave this place, Lord, we would cling to that same gospel, calling out to you and worshiping you, adoring you with everything that we have. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.